being a part of our, uh, our At The Movies fifth week, and as we're doing that, I'm going to send all of our kids over here with Miss Lisa, first through fourth grade, you're going to head that way, and as they head that way, um, we, by request of my wife, Christy, have moved the leather chairs to the back, so people actually want to sit in them. So, um, with them back there, we do two questions, and our first question today is going to, uh, they, they'll do with the movie here, so if you've seen even the first one, you should be able to get these, but The Incredibles, they have an alter ego name. What is their last name? It is Par, that is correct, and do you guys get the irony in that? Par is average, and yet they're The Incredibles? Yeah, I thought you might get there. Would you like to have candy, or would you like to have the seats? That's the question. Candy, which candy would you like? M&M's, hot tamales, dots, or cookie dough bites? Hot tamales coming your way. Ready? I'm going to just slide them. That was a terrible slide. That was a gutter ball at best. Um, so second question gets the seats as well. And so uh, this for the morning, uh, you saw there at the end, combustion was imminent. There's a little lady there. Uh, what was her name? Edna Mode. So, yes, you get the seats. Take, take your whole row. Everybody can do it. It'll be fun. Just pack them all in there. It'll be good. And uh, you can have the incredible cups that are sitting there as well. I know Ben, Ben's back from, uh, from the Navy for a couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, Ben, you need to go sit back there too. You can take your sister. That'd be nice. So, um, I am, uh, I'm glad you guys are with us today. We're going to be talking about Incredibles. I'm not going to lie to you. I think Incredibles is my favorite animated film of all time, and Incredibles 2 did not disappoint. Definitely my favorite movie so far this summer as I've gone and watched it. And as you saw in the, in the preview there, as you saw that video play out, maybe you saw it as well, but one of the things that was very evident throughout the movie is all about perception. Perception versus reality. Perception versus reality. As you look at perception versus reality, it talks about throughout this movie how media and our addictions to screens changes our perception. And I don't use that word addiction lightly because let's be very honest. We are addicted to screens. We had our VBS this week. You know how I can make sure that you know we had VBS this week? Just look by your feet. You will see glitter. Because glitter got everywhere and you can't clean glitter up. It spreads and it gets on you. So when you go home today, you will have glitter on you. When you change your baby's diaper, there'll be glitter inside of that. You're not even sure how it happened, okay? But that is the reality about VBS and glitter. But as we did that and we had VBS, I was sitting and talking. One of the things that, that you know about VBS and I know about VBS is that you're going to attract the kids from other churches whose parents are looking for a break from them for the summer. And so we get to pour Jesus into their lives as well. And as we did, we were standing there talking, and each kid was like, oh, yeah, I go to this church. Oh, I go to this church. And one of the kids specified a specific church, and, and he said, that's the church I go to. And all the other kids go, oh, is that the church you get to play video games at? That's awesome. I'm like, you know, I get it. I get that part of it all. I was a youth pastor for a long time in my life, but if that's the drawing factor to go to church, we're missing something. And, but that is who we are. We had uh, one of our little guys, uh, Levi was here, and I needed to, to kind of give him something to, to focus his mind, and we just put an iPad in his lap. When you do that in a room full of other kids, everybody's like moth to a flame, just 
suction right to the iPad. We are addicted to screens. As a matter of fact, as I was working on this message, I have my phone in my hand looking up definitions on dictionary.com. I have my iPad in my lap looking up the video stuff, and I have my computer over here typing things out as I was doing it. Screens are something we are locked into, and screens will help us with our perception. And here's what the thing is that we saw in this, this uh, movie. Maybe you saw it in the preview. As the billionaire was trying to bring superheroes back into the sunlight, as he says, he says, I want to change the perception that the, that the community has of you. See, in the first Incredibles, if you've seen the first Incredibles, you know that they had an alter ego because they couldn't be in the light. They couldn't be out in front of everybody else. They couldn't be there because people didn't like superheroes. You know why they didn't like superheroes? Because of the way the media portrayed them. This isn't just some simple cartoon. As a matter of fact, when I saw the movie and I thought to myself, okay, this is a guy ripping the fact that screens dominate our presence as well as manipulate our thinking, we're watching it on a giant screen. And I thought to myself, man, this guy probably just sank himself in Hollywood doing this. But as we went through it all, we get to see so many different things in it all that, that perception is a powerful thing. And in the movie, they know it. And I believe that we know the perception is a powerful thing. So powerful, I believe it can affect our everything. It can affect the way we think and it can affect the way we act. I mean, have you ever seen the, the, the TV show on Nat Geo, uh, Brain Games? When they do all the different things about the way perception changes it, and they always bring in the magician to say, this is where you might think is reality, and this is actual reality. Where perception changes those things. You know, I started looking up quotes about perception. And you have some that are way out there, and some that are pretty conservative, but all of them tie together. The fact that perception will alter what we think is reality. Here's some of the quotes that said, perception creates reality or creates a false reality. Marcus Aurelius, Roman emperor and philosopher, said, everything we hear is an opinion, not fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. Or, there's a quote of, our lives are mostly affected by the way we think things are, not the way things are. The last one I liked was this. The brain does not create reality, it creates ideas about reality, most of which are inaccurate. There's power in perception. It will change the way we think, it will change the way we act. Our perception usually shapes our beliefs and our actions. And what are the things that are feeding our perception? What are the things that are causing our perception to distort our reality? See, the idea of of this billionaire in The Incredibles here. The idea of the billionaire was to change the perception for the good. He wanted the Incredibles, he wanted the Supers to be up front again. He wanted people to enjoy them and not hate them. Now, if you've seen the movie, you also know that the bad guy does the same thing. But to the flip side, he wants to destroy them with perception. And so we see these two battling things in our lives, and and see... So many of our actions and so many of the things that we do are, are, are determined by our perception, the way we see things to be. Our perception of events, our perception of words, our perception of actions, our perceptions of people, they're, they're shaped by what we see, by what we hear, our senses. I mean, the definition of perception, it's this idea of being aware through your senses. 
But can I ask you this? How often are you fully aware through your senses and they're right? And how often are they wrong? Yet our perception guides us, it directs us, it points us in the direction of, of what we should think or what we think is real. And as we look at that, let's just put this statement in perspective. Well, I thought VBS was a good event. And you say that out loud, and then one person has one little comment that they didn't like about it. And then instead of hearing all the positive things, you only hear that one negative thing. Or you hear that, well, I thought they liked me. But that one little thing that they said on whatever social media site that is, point us in the direction that that didn't seem to be the case. It's easy to let our perceptions become a reality. And that's why both the good guy and the bad guy in this movie use media to change the audiences. And the reason why they want to do that and the reason why they can't do it is because people are obsessed with screens. As a matter of fact, the bad guy's name is the screen slaver. He enslaves people with the screen. He uses it, and you saw it kind of start doing that, that uh, uh, epileptic seizure kind of uh, thing. They actually told people with epilepsy not to come into the movie because it was such a, a powerful thing. But he has this two-minute monologue in the middle of the movie. And if you know me, when I go to the movies, I try and write down notes. Could not write it all down. Couldn't find anybody else who did either and put it online. So I did get some of the points. These are some of the things that he talks about in that monologue about our addiction to screens. He said we're obsessed with screens. Our perceptions of those screens are greater than the reality. Screens make us passive participants in our own lives. I thought, wow, that's exactly it. Addiction to screen occurs passivity and complacency, which turns us into mindless slaves to mass media. Let's be honest. We live in a society of mindless consumers who have lost all sense of what is real. And it's our own fault. It's our own doing. There's a phrase that uh, they also say is, you're no longer in control, I am. When we're mindless, when we're slaves to that, that's exactly it. We're in control of whatever they want to do. I have many friends who've worked in the news industry, uh, that have worked in, in media, and all of them have said the same thing that they hate most about the media, is that they'll go and they'll film a story. In the process of filming that story, they'll say, okay, this is the story we have. They'll go to the editing room store uh, floor, and in that editing room, they'll cut to make the story that you want to hear, or they want you to hear. And that's the reality in newspapers. It's reality in, on TV. Uh, it, 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 it's what we soak in, and that's why some people really like Fox News, and some people really like CNN, and generally they don't cross paths. You know why? Because they can tell the same story in two different ways. And generally, somewhere in the middle, you'll find the truth. But that's the problem, is that we don't want to look anywhere in the middle. We let our perceptions and our feelings determine the truth, instead of let the truth determine the truth. You know why that is? Well, Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the Pharisees and he calls them out. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, if you want to flip over to him, he's talking about the father of lies the father of distortion, the father of twisted perception. And this is what he says. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of all lies. See, 
God is love. We can go on and on and on about talking about God's love. Jesus, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. We can go on and on and on and talk about how he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. God, he has unfathomable goodness. He's pouring out his goodness and his grace and his love on us. And we can go on and on and on and talk about that for hours upon hours upon hours. But you know what we could do if we were going to talk about Satan? We could talk about how he's a father of lies. And that there are no limits to how low he will go, to how twisted he will get, and how much he will use the world's distortion to distort our thinking. You know, I started thinking about it. Just like a magician uses that ability to distort your perception to make you think that something happened that didn't really, Satan's better. He distorts us. I thought about this this week. It's, it's believed that a third of the angels in heaven fell with Satan when he rebelled against God. How did he get a third of the angels who saw God every day, who worshipped God every day, and I say day as if there was time in heaven, but you know what I'm trying to say. How did he convince a third of the angels to turn from God when they experienced God their entire existence? It's because he's that good. He's that good at twisting. He has switched this life from all about being the glory of God to being about the glory of me. He has switched my thinking about all of that. He's taking this on and he says, you know what? I'm going to use media and I'm going to use culture to change your perception of what is actually real. I'm not sure if you were with us back when we were in the book of Colossians before we started the At The Movie series. And we were in the book of Colossians. If I were to ask you, what was the theme of Colossians? We talked about it for nine straight weeks. I'm going to give you the answer in case you forgot. But this is what it is. Christ at center changes everything. Christ at center changes everything. But that leads us to a question. What is at the center of your life? Or who is at the center of your life? What is it that we have right here? Now, we're in church, and the answer naturally should be Jesus, because we're in church, right? But what happens when you're outside of church, and that natural answer isn't flowing in us to say, that is what we're supposed to have at center? What if it's family? What if it's friends? What if it's career? What if it's success? What if it's, and you can fill in that blank, what if it's something else? Sports or music, whatever it might be. All those things are good things, but when a good thing becomes a God thing, then it's a bad thing. When we are distorting our perception of what really matters, of who's supposed to be first, it becomes a bad thing. And that's Satan's whole goal. He wants to take a good thing and make it a God thing. Therefore, we are deceived. And he is the great deceiver. He is the great liar. And in that job, He is doing very well at distorting our reality. See, Isaiah 43 tells us we were created for one purpose, to glorify God. Yet, what do we think our purpose is? To get all we can while we can and dump everybody in the process. To drop everybody in the process. That distortion is real. See, so many Bible verses tell us to imitate Christ. Tell us to have a mind like Christ. Tell us to follow after Christ. Tell us to focus on Christ. Why is that? Because the battle is real. 
The battle is real. There is a self-perception and there is the truth. And a lot of times we follow after the perception and make that our truth. Um, You know, if we're not focused on the truth, it's so easy for us to be distorted. If we're not focused on what we're supposed to be doing, it's so easy for us to get caught up. Is this not a picture of the zombie apocalypse? Now, we could easily wipe away the makeup of the artistry of it looking like a zombie, and that would just be a picture at the mall. That'd be a picture at a restaurant. I mean, the reality is, you just, just type in cell phone zombies on Google, and you'll have multiple images. As a matter of fact, there is a street sign, like a warning street sign in Seoul, South Korea, that says, warning cell phone zombies. And it actually has a triangle with people like this buried in their phone. Not even joking. That is the reality of the world that we live in. And we are so absorbed in that, that the distortion and the, the... the day and the A, all the things that are right there are all coming through these screens that we let tell us the truth. It's social conditioning. As a matter of fact, if you watch the movie, you'll see that the, the screen slaver puts on goggles to immediately change people. And in the process of putting on those goggles, also uses the big screens to change people. It is a metaphor, the, the director actually said, it is a metaphor for social conditioning. That what we watch is going to change our minds and force us to do things. As a matter of fact, there's one thing I forgot to mention earlier that the screenslaver says in that monologue. It says, you don't talk, you watch talk shows. You don't play games, you watch game shows. You eat chips and watch other people confront problems that you are too lazy to deal with. I'm like, whoa, that's heavy, but it's true. Unfortunately, it's true. We have become lazy. We have become complacent. We become passive. We become mindless slaves to what culture dictates. And it's not exempt from the church. It's not exempt from the church. Satan distorted the truth from God's very first rule. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd love for you to open up to Exodus chapter 20. And if you know anything about Exodus chapter 20, you'll know that is the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, the first two deals what we're talking about today. In the first two, it says this, starting in verse 3 of Exodus chapter 20, it says, Do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters underneath the earth. Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. He says, don't make an idol. Don't bow down to an idol. But that leads us to a question is, what is an idol? What is an idol? See, when I ask what an idol is, the first thing we think of is some sort of statue that's been carved or made out of clay or made out of some sort of metal. And when we call uh, that an idol, our immediate thought is idolatry is when we just bow down to that thing and we worship that thing. But while that is a partial truth, it's not the full truth. And that's what Satan's really good at. In his distortion is he likes to throw out these partial truths to us and leave us hanging on the full truth. See, the full truth is, is this. Idols are created things in our life that have a higher place than God. Idols are a created thing in our life that has a higher place than God. And that can be a person, and that could be a thing, and that could be an event. I mean, any of those things could fall into the thing of an idol. And committing adultery is when your hearts want to serve or want something more than God himself. Now, When I ask this next question, it might be one of those things to say, do you have idols in your life? 
And the answer would be, yes, you do. Yes, you do. By that definition we have, as a matter of fact, if you want a biblical definition of it, we can go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Now, I told you we went through the book of Colossians since Easter all the way up till uh, Memorial Day. And as we went through the book of Colossians, we focused on this one and the things that we're supposed to put to death, the things that we're supposed to put off. And it says this in chapter 3, verse 5. It says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And greed, which is idolatry. Do we have greed in our lives? Well, greed is that desire that comes from the heart to crave, to want, to enjoy, to be satisfied by something temporarily, that is, by something other than Jesus. And we want it, and it's loving something too much that should be loved less. That's simply what it is. Do we have idols in our lives? Yes, we do. When I asked you that first question, I said, is Christ at center in your life? Our desire is to say yes. Maybe even our perception is the answer yes. But is it the truth? And as we think about that, I, I want you to think deeply in your own lives. Do I have Christ at the center, or is he merely just a piece of my pie of all the other things that I have that are there in front of me? See, idolatry is present, and if we don't come up with a way to fix it, idolatry can be destructive. Solomon. Solomon, you probably have heard of before. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He was King David's son. And uh, as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he had everything that we could possibly want in this world. Everything that this world strives for, he had. He had riches. He had women. He had smarts. He had all the things that his heart could possibly desire. There was nothing that was too great for him to get. And in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, he calls all of those things what? Does anybody know? Vanity or meaningless. All the things we chase after, all the idols we have to have in our lives, all the next bigger, better things that we have to have, he calls meaningless. As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in his time, but he's also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to the end. See, he put eternity in our hearts. And we're looking for something to give us that joy of eternity. That, that joy and peace for eternity. And that one thing is God. And we try and shove so many other things in that God-shaped hole that is in our hearts. Hoping that it'll fit, hoping that it'll last, hoping that it'll make that difference and, and fulfill that need for eternity that we have in our hearts. But see, what we need to do is we need to understand what Solomon wrote, and not only understand what he wrote there, but also how he wraps up the entire book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. See, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, I've, I've experienced it all, I've had it all, I've done it all, and this is the conclusion I've come to, that all of it is meaningless. So in that case, this is what we need to do. There's one thing that's worth living for, one thing worth serving. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. And what was number one or number two? Don't have any other gods beside me. And don't have idols in your life. Now, I don't know if God gave them to him in a specific order that these are the most important down to the bottom, but I'm kind of guessing that it is. The, the most important two are to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And as I look at that, I say, do we do that? 
What is the desire of our heart? What is at the center of our life? What is it that we are craving? craving? Is, it, is it stuff? Is it a relationship? Is it an experience? Is it other people? Or is it a relationship with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What is it that drives us? What is it that we desire so heavily? See, you can even see it in the ministry of Jesus himself. If you flip with me over to the book of Mark, chapter 2, you'll see what Jesus puts first. If you flip over there, you'll go to the first five verses. In the first five verses, it's a pretty common story, one we've talked about before. But it's where the paralytic is brought by his four buddies to meet Jesus. And as he meets Jesus, they can't get to him through a normal way. So they have to rip a hole in the roof and drop him down through. Let me read the story for you and then pick up what Jesus does in verse 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together, and there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. Then he came to bring a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pause right there. I want you to think about this for just a second. You've been paralyzed your whole life, or a good portion of your life. You have one desire, and that one desire is what? To walk, right? Your buddies find out Jesus is there. They go through some serious steps to get you to Jesus. I mean, ripping a hole in a guy's roof, that's going to cost you some things. Okay, you get dropped down, you're in front of this whole crowd, everybody's watching you, everybody's seeing what's going on, you're getting dropped down in front of this whole crowd of people, there's probably some humiliation that's involved in that, but you're willing to go to those steps because you want to meet Jesus because Jesus is going to fix that one physical problem that has been ailing you your whole life. And Jesus does what? He forgives your sins. Wait a second, I didn't come here for that. I came here for the physical to get taken care of. I have this desire to walk. (laughs) Why would you fix my sins? Why would that be something that that, that would be the first thing in your mind, Jesus? I have no desire for that right now. My desire is physical, not spiritual. And when we stop and think about it in our own lives, how often do we come to Jesus with our physical and not our spiritual? Why did Jesus fix his sins first? See, later on down the line, he does say, arise, take up your mat, and walk. He heals the guy's legs, but why did he not fix that first? What is it about our physical needs that that we want that, that make them so desirable over our spiritual needs? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that that we focus on the now. We don't focus on the forever. See, when we focus on the now, when you have to have that bigger thing, when you have to have that relationship, when you have to have you fill in that blank, we forget that eventually the euphoria is going to wear off. And then we're going to want the next bigger thing. I would be willing to bet that it's the same with even being able to walk. He's going to be like, whoa, I can walk. I took up my mat. I'm out. I'm doing all this fun stuff like that. And further on down the line, you're going to be like, I wish I could run faster. I wish I had better shoes. These Jesus sandals aren't working for me. You know, we start going into the negative part of it all. But 
when our sins are forgiven, that is an eternal need. That is where Solomon said he put eternity in our hearts. That is a need that is being changed from the inside. See, Jesus knew there was something bigger that needed to take place. Jesus did heal his legs, but he got past that idol that he wanted and went after the thing that he needed. And he changed his life because of it. What is it you think you need? And how do you determine whether it's a need or a want? What perception is it that's changing you? When you watch TV, see, I always know, we don't really watch a whole lot of TV at our house. But I always know when my kids go over to somebody else's house and they watch Nickelodeon especially. Because Nickelodeon is full of commercials. And they come home from whoever's house they were at from watching Nickelodeon. They're like, Dad, I totally want this. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I don't have a clue. Why do you want it? Well, I saw it on TV, and, uh, and the, the monster really roars, and the baby really cries, and wets itself, and blah, blah, blah. And there's all of this stuff, and you're like, wait a second. Where did this want decide and this need turn into? Well, the perception has been shaped by the screen. The same thing we even see throughout this movie. There are these idols. We say, this is what I need. And we can go on and on and on all day long on all the different idols that are out there, but really I want to focus on four. And I mentioned two of you a couple weeks ago when we were talking about one of the other movies. But there's four root idols that really draw everything else in together. And that is this. It is power. It is comfort. It is control. And it's approval. And when you stop and think about it, those are all good things. But when a good thing becomes a bad thing, I'm sorry, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And when we look at those four things in our lives, how many of those four things are dictated through the screens we watch, the power we want to have, the drive that we have when we sit in front of our computers for so long slaving over all the stuff like that? What about control? Do you want to have control in these different things? How much control do you have of your house over a smartphone or with your smartphone? I was actually thinking it's getting warm in here, and I could pull up my phone right now, and I could change all the air conditions if I wanted to. I'm actually considering it. But the, the, the reality is we have control over that comfort. Man, the next greatest gadget. How lazy are we to have to have a smart TV? I mean, I got one. I'm not going to lie. But I don't ever use it because I'm like, why? I got a computer. And somebody's like, oh, I can't believe I have a computer. How old school are you? You know, I, someday I'm going to be able to touch my TV and it's going to be able to do all, I mean, it probably already is there. It's, it's, it's crazy to look at these things. And then approval, isn't that what instant media or social media is all about? Isn't it all about approval? Getting likes, dislikes, telling your feelings, telling your opinions, all that kind of stuff like that. These are all right there. These are all idols that I think that you struggle with at least one of them, if not more. I counted out and I got three of the four, 75%. That's passing. Um, but but the, the problem is, is that we have to figure out not just about these idols, but what to do about it. Let me tell you what the power idol is, just in case you're like, oh, I don't know if I struggle with that. Definition, life is worth living, and I have worth and value only when I have influence, recognition, and fame. You know you've made power an idol if your greatest fear is humiliation. If your greatest fear is humiliation, somebody humiliates you, it produces an automatic anger. You feel easily disrespected. 
when proper recognition is not given to your accomplishments, it produces anger and jealousy. You struggle giving credit to others. You don't have this driving desire to control the future. However, you do want to be important in the midst of it. That is our power idol. Do you fall into that one? How about control? I'm only content, happy, and at peace if I'm able to get mastery in my life over a certain area or if things are occurring according to my plans and my desires. Can I just tell you that VBS was controlled chaos? It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I hate glitter. And it was everywhere. As a matter of fact, as I was putting chairs out this week, I'm like, are you serious? We didn't have a kid sit on the chairs, and there's glitter all over these things. And I'm sweeping it off, and I'm sweeping it on the floor, which doesn't come off the floor. And I'm just like, I hate glitter. Next business meeting, banning glitter. All right, that is, that is the reality of it all. But, but when we look at that kind of stuff, when we get into it, that didn't fall into my plans or my desires. But, man, the kids had fun with that glitter, even the boys. I'm like, you're a boy. That's what you're playing with, glitter? Glitter's for girls. You know, but they, they, were, they were loving it and putting their caves together and doing all the fun stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, no, this isn't, this isn't how I planned it. And, of course, the first thing when you know that control is an idol in your life is when things don't go as you planned, it produces fear and anger in your heart. You have a set schedule in your mind, and if it doesn't go according to that, man, it drives you nuts. Ten days from now, I'll be hanging out in Honduras. You know what I found out about Hispanic third world countries? They don't even know what a watch is. There is, there is no timetable. It's event-driven, not time-driven. I am a time-driven person. At 9 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock we're doing this thing. For them, the event starts when everybody gets there. Doesn't matter if it's two hours later. Doesn't matter how long it goes. To me, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Schedule, done. We have to use this F word while we're down there. It's called flexibility. That's not a word I like, but that because because of control. Maybe control is your idol as well. What about comfort? The definition of comfort, I'm not content, at peace, or happy unless I experience a certain quality of life or a particular pleasure. The people who want comfort, they are driven and motivated by securing what is easier, not what is more difficult. I got to make this easier. I mean, isn't that the whole point of a smart TV? Because you're supposed to make things easier so you don't have to have a third, fourth, fifth, sixth remote in your hand. Isn't that the, the, the point of it all? Avoiding stress and difficulty becomes the primary motivating factor in our lives. When it comes to our lives, instead of going like the paralytic did to Jesus, we go to things like food or videos or movies. You know, Corey and I, we had a conversation, what was it, 2008 when the economy took its dump? And, and we were talking about movies and how movies actually go up in sales when economy goes down. And the reason for it is it's a two-hour escape. Instead of going to Jesus, we go to something else, looking for that comfort. Final one's approval. I'm not content or at peace unless I am loved or accepted by a particular person or a, or a particular group of people. I'm telling you, that's social media. That, that, that's why it exists. When 10 people make a compliment about what you're wearing or what you've done or whatever it is, and one person doesn't, you listen to that one person, what they're saying. 
might have told you this story before, but the guy who created Seinfeld, his name's Larry David. They had a whole thing about him. He wrote this article. He was at a Mets game, and he got put up on the Jumbotron. Hey, thanks, Larry David, for making New York all that it is through Seinfeld and the other TV shows he's made and so on and so forth. And the whole crowd, rah, we're crazy. So 70,000 people all around cheering. He's walking to his car in the parking lot, and he overhears one person say some negative things about the show that he's created. And all he could do, he said, was dwell, not on the 70,000 people giving him approval, but the one person giving him disapproval. That's a God in our lives. We want to have that power, control, comfort, approval. Which one of those have taken the place of God in your life? Which one of those are the things that you rely on? Which one of those things are you pursuing? Which one of those things are you bowing down to? Which one of those things are you serving? And which one of those things are you wanting more than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? I told you. Three out of four. I'm just being very open and honest with you. And the great thing is, as I even went through this, it's one thing to identify the idol in your heart. The day is a good day when we can recognize why we do what we do. But it's kind of like when we find dirt on us. It's great that we found dirt on us, but the next step is to do what? Wash it off, right? The next step is to get clean with it all. So it's a whole different story to stop worshiping that idol. We might recognize the idol, but how do we stop worshiping it? Because the Lord has been very clear to us. There should be no other gods besides him. There should be nothing that comes before him, nothing that we bow down to instead of him. So as a spirit has revealed an idol to you in your heart, like that paralytic man, you got to do what you got to do. You got to go to Jesus. And I'm going to give you an opportunity today as we wrap up, as we close up today, as we've talked about prayer, is to go to Jesus, to ask him for strength, to ask him for direction, to give you the truth, because he is the truth, to, to, to point you in that direction, to wipe away all the filters that we have, to wipe away all the distortions that Satan's put between us and, and him, and say, that is the truth. That is what I want. How do I get it? And allow him to reveal that to you. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up and sing one last song. And as we do that, you can stay seated. You can stand up and sing with us. Or maybe you can just pray and say, God, I am struggling with power. I'm a power-hungry fool that wants it this way. I'm struggling with control. Generally, those two go hand in hand. Anybody figure out which, which one I'm not? No, don't worry about it. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's, I, I can't do it because it's going to take me out of my comfort zone. Maybe, maybe it's approval. What is it you're struggling with? It? How can God clarify and clear up the way you are? Let's pray together, and I'd ask you to continue to pray that as we move forward. God, thank you so much for today and the way that you work in our lives, the way that you change us, the way that you, you reveal things to us. And God, one of the things we understand about being in the midst of revealed to is there's a problem. But just like the check engine on, on your car, we can continue to drive if we so choose, or we can get it diagnosed and get it fixed. God, you have revealed it to us. The check engine light is on. But God, what do we do about getting it fixed? We come to you this morning to guide us and direct us, to give us the truth, to give us the way to go. We pray it all in your name today, Lord. Amen.